Publishing for Profit podcast is brought to you by Ghostwriters and Co. Earn more money by publishing better content and learn how to increase your thought leadership so you can build your brand. Head over to ghostwritersandco.com for more information. That's ghostwritersandco.com. And now, your host, Joel Mark Harris. Hello, and welcome to the Publishing for Profit podcast. This is your host, Joel Mark Harris. We are on episode number 26 today, and we interview best-selling Amazon author Julie Broad. Her book, More Than Cash Flow, talks about the ins and outs of real estate investing and really peels back the glitz and glamour of real estate investment uh, and gets at the real hard truths of the industry. It reached number one on Amazon over the likes of Dan Brown and Game of Thrones. Uh, She is also the recipient of uh, the Beverly Hills Book Award and the Top 20 Under 40 Awards. So some really impressive achievements there. She went from real estate investing to launching a new company called Book Launchers that helps authors market, publish, and launch their new books. So hopefully you enjoyed this episode. Hello, Julie. Welcome to the show. Hi, thanks for having me. Very welcome. So I want to start off with your book, More Than Cash Flow. What, what prompted you to write that book? And was it something that you've been, you had planned for a long time and it just sort of sprung into action? Or what was the exact process of that? <laughs> How long do we have? No. <laughs> so, yeah, I mean, it, I'd always wanted to write a book. And then as I got into real estate investing, uh, which was, I started in 2001, um, but it it was kind of a journey and a lot of things happened where, uh, you know, I felt like following a lot of the training out there, we ended up buying properties that just caused us massive grief. We ended up with a property that actually became a crack house and it was a known crack house. And we ended up getting charged with fire code violations and then we never actually got the notice. So we ended up having to go to court over these fire code violations. And there was just all these things that happened to us. And meanwhile, you know, in, in the 2000s, there was all these people talking about get rich in real estate, woohoo, you know, and, uh, and I was kind of looking around going, yeah, you know, there's money to be made, but you know, there's a lot of mistakes that you can make doing the things you guys are teaching. so I really thought that a real estate book about, you know, these mistakes and how following the lessons they're teaching you without, without really thinking certain things through can create a lot of problems and I was living proof. And so I really thought that was a book that, that could be written. Um, in 2008, which is epically bad timing, so if I tell you to time something, do the opposite of what I tell you. But in 2008, I quit my job and I went full time into real estate investing and started building a platform, so a newsletter list and a YouTube channel and all those kind of things around real estate. Um, And little bit by bit, I actually ended up in contact with a couple of different publishers that were interested in having me write a book. And so I had pitched this book idea I had, you know, kind of the real side of real estate investing, not the, you know, woohoo, make money side. And, and they kind of said, eh, no, you know, you know, there's enough real estate 
books that are general like that out there. So, you know, we don't want that. But Wiley actually turned around and said, you know, we're interested in working with you. Here's an idea that we've been looking for an author to write about. And I actually didn't even really like the idea, um, but I thought, hey, a book deal. <laughs> <laughs> and so I, I went back and forth with him for three months on this proposal, really assuming that this was the book deal because they had more or less approached me and then they had turned around and given me a book idea. So I thought I was getting a book deal. Uh, but I ended up getting an email from them that said, you know, the marketing department doesn't think you have a strong enough platform to sell books. And so they, they, they not only had rejected my book idea, but now they were completely rejecting me. <laughs> so any shred of ego I had left was shattered. Uh, and it took me a little while, like a, a little bit over a year to kind of recover. But a lot of things happened that made me see there really was a need for a book that told you, hey, you can make money in real estate, but watch out for this. Think about this. Be careful of this. And I just thought, you know what? I'm just going to write this book because I think there's somebody, even if there's only one, there's somebody out there that can avoid a lot of pain if they get this book. And so that was really the impetus for it was I wanted to help other people like me who wanted to get into real estate. They were taking these kind of get rich quick courses, which really were all that were available if you wanted to learn how to invest in real estate at the time. And, you know, I was really just giving them another perspective on it. And, uh, and yeah, <laughs> and it did, it did extraordinarily well. Um, so Wiley was wrong. I did have a strong enough platform to sell books because <laughs> I took it to number one overall on Amazon. I had a Dan Brown, I had a Game of Thrones. Uh, pretty sure they've never taken a real estate book to number one on Amazon. So, uh, and this was a, a nonfiction, you know, niche book by a self-published author uh, outselling all these books. So, so that ended, it had a happy ending. <laughs> yeah, I saw the screenshot. Uh, so congratulations. I was very impressed. I was like, whoa, wow, that's, that's amazing. So have you always wanted to write a book and this was just an opportunity or was it something that just kind of, it was a spark that came to you one day? Both. I mean, I was, I was a writer by as a child, I had short stories published at the age of seven and I think seven and eight, I had tons of short stories published. So I always thought I would be a writer. And then somewhere along the line, people told me writers don't make money. So I went to business school um, and kind of lost all thought of, of, you know, being an author until I, until I started to see friends getting book deals and then, you know, all of this happened. And then it really came back to me that I want to write books and I, I want to be a part of that space. So, Yeah. And so it changed your life. And can you tell us a little bit how that happened and then how that launched into your new business? Yeah. I mean, ultimately, it, you know, Ellen didn't, I didn't get to dance with Ellen. I, you know, Oprah didn't call. <laughs> it was, She'll call. Don't worry. Yeah. It was pretty, it was pretty cool to go to number one, but yeah. I, I, I did think, you know, it was one of those things where I guess in your head, it's a bigger deal than maybe it really is. <laughs> I don't know. Um, but uh, you know, all that said it, it changed my life in a variety of ways. First and foremost, it was an enormous business booster for us. Um, you know, my husband and I had two businesses at the time. One was a training and education company, so helping people invest in real estate with uh, less risk and, you know, still same financial rewards, but more sensible. And we also had an investment company where we were buying a house pretty much every month um, and turning it into a rental property. And keeping it in our portfolio. So we needed to raise a lot of capital and we also, you know, we're always looking for new new people to be in our training programs. The book, uh, you know, easily is responsible for doubling our business and we had multiple investors come to us from reading our book um, and like out of nowhere just pick up the phone and say, hey, listen, I've got half a million. I need to invest somewhere. You know, 
I liked your book. Can we talk? And one of the people still an investor with us to this day. Um, and we're not really active in, we don't actively invest anymore, but we still hold properties. So um, yeah, so that, I mean, that really was the first change, you know, financially things, things got stronger, things were easier on the business side, but ultimately for me, it really opened up the door to me seeing self-publishing as a real viable option for growing business, getting important messages out there and you know, just really impacting not only myself, but other readers and, and other people, because my book, um, you know, really had an impact on people. And that feels pretty incredible to help people, you know, when they read your book. Uh, and, and through all of that, I saw the gaps in the industry. And I had friends that did get the publishing deals that I didn't get um, coming to me going, hey, I'm not getting I'm not getting this kind of a support. My book isn't doing well. What do I need to do differently? And so I saw on the traditional side the challenges that they had on marketing a book and then other people self-publishing who were putting books out that really weren't good books. And, you know, it was no wonder they were struggling to get results. And I just started to see a real need for people to have support writing a great book, but writing a great book that will be marketed at the end and bringing it all under one roof, which is what we do at Book Launchers. So we really take that idea of how you're going to sell your book, who you're going to sell it to, what's it going to do. And we help you right from the beginning, make sure that that book is going to be marketable to that audience and have an impact on them, but also on you in your life and in your business. And then during this time, you know, correct me if I am wrong, but you moved to LA. Can you tell us, and I believe it was so your husband could pursue acting. Mm -hmm. um, can you tell us about that experience and, and, you know, a little bit about that journey? <laughs> Immigration is not for the faint of heart, I can tell you that. Um, it is, yeah, so I, I'm one of those people who goes all in, obviously, you know, oh, Wiley won't publish my book. Okay, I'm going to do it better than you. <laughs> so, so that's, you know, just a taste of my personality. So uh, as my husband got more and more into acting and, and started to leave real estate, I didn't want to do the real estate without him. Um, we were very much a, a team, you know, I was very strong on the marketing and communication side, and he was very strong on the numbers and real estate needs both. And so I didn't want to do, didn't want to do it without him, didn't want to find somebody to replace him. Um, so I was really looking around to see what else I could do. And I wrote another book in the meantime, but I just, I wasn't feeling it. You know how you, you I had a lot of things to say. I knew I could add value, but it just wasn't sparking anything in me. Uh, and his acting was starting to go well, but, you know, starting a new career in your 40s is tough and not being in the epicenter of where decisions are made is is even tougher. So I kind of just said, hey, you know what, maybe we should go to L.A. to give this like a full shot so we can just say, hey, we tried. You know, no matter what happens, we can say we went all in and tried hard. Uh, and so <laughs> we went down the crazy journey of, of going there and to, to move, we got what's called an E2 investor visa, and I won't get super technical, but um, the short version of that is you could either buy a business or you can create one, but no matter what you do, you need to create employment from the start. Like they, the only reason they want you to come into the country with this visa is to give jobs to Americans. And, uh, and so I tried buying, looking at businesses to buy, I spent many weeks in Los Angeles and I didn't want to buy anybody else's business that bored me. Um, other people's problems weren't that interesting. I'd rather create my own. <laughs> so I, and I kept 
going back to this idea, you know, of helping people write and publish books and knowing the gaps that I had seen already. And I'd already been helping a lot of authors um, just for fun, just friends. And uh, so I said, you know what, I'm going to, I'm going to create my dream company because uh, I have to invest money in this anyways. I have to kind of build the company backwards. Uh, so I, I dreamed up book launchers <laughs> and, <laughs> and applied for a visa and, and had some border agent evaluate my business plan and eventually give me the stamp of approval to move to the States and launch the company. <laughs> <laughs> Nice. Uh, and so you mentioned your newest book, uh, Brand New You. Can you tell us a little bit about what that's about and who the audience for that is? Yeah. So first of all, a lesson in titling a book is right there. This is how never to title a book. Um, the title is actually the new Brand You. Mm. Um, but nobody ever gets it right. And I've done, I think, 75 podcast interviews. And I would say 80% of the interviewers say it wrong, just like you did. And this is, this is an illustration of my problem, not any of the interviewers. So when you're titling a book, you want to make sure people remember it and can say it. And you don't try to get too cute or too fancy. <laughs> because this is, this has been, and it just, it's incredible. If I wanted to stick with this, I would relaunch the book and, and give it a new title. So it's something we work really hard with all of our clients on book titling. And it's almost never the title that you think, like that makes you fall in love with your book idea. That's almost never the title that you should publish with, just so you know. <laughs> <laughs> um, anyways, so, so that book was really how we raised money for real estate. Mm -hmm. Ultimately, that's what it was. But because it, I was putting it out at a time when we were really moving away from our, the intense uh, real estate businesses that we had been running, I, I tried to wrap it in a more general thing. Um, and ultimately, this book is really an example of how not to write a book to make it marketable. It is, it is, I think, a better book than More Than Cashflow, but it doesn't have a clear audience. If I had said, this is how you raise money for your real estate deals, it would have sold. Um, but I tried to move, use it to move away without actually declaring who it's for. Um, so instead, it's a really great book on how you can position yourself to have money or clients come to you and how you can do it in a way, you know, if you're a high introvert like me, um, or you're really uncomfortable, you know, going for the ask, this is how you get people to come to you. And so it's, it's tremendously valuable. And again, I actually think it's a better book than more than cash flow. However, it's not well positioned. And as a result, it did not do well. And then I moved to book launchers and haven't focused on it. <laughs> so do you talk about branding in this book? Or is it purely about more of like, I guess, a marketing and sales uh, strategy? Well, see, that's the, the thing is it's really your brand that brings people to you. And that's what I was talking about, like how we ended up raising millions and millions of dollars for our investment business and filling our classes was through our brand because people trusted us. And it ultimately comes back to you as a person. And when I launched Book Launchers, my first 10 clients were people who knew me as a brand from the real estate space. And they just said, you know what? We've seen what you do. We trust you. You're, you say you're going to publish books. We're going to come work with you. Um, and so that really is, that's what the book is about, is creating that brand of trust so that whatever you say you're doing, people believe you, they trust you, and they want to work with you. So can you give us some tips about how you can create that trust? Yeah, absolutely. A couple things is, you know, it's really simple stuff. Um, do what you say you're going to do 
always, 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 always. And it's, it's, <laughs> it seems simple and yet a lot of people don't do this, right? You, they don't show up when they say they're going to, they don't send that email when they say they're going to, and that can erode trust really, really fast. But if you consistently are that person who does what you say you're gonna do, um, that can go a long way over time. From a more business perspective, I think, you know, building a brand around things like that, so being consistent. So just as a, you know, to give a really practical example, on YouTube, um, when, I, when I launched booklaunchers.tv, which is the YouTube channel for book launchers, when I first launched it, I was publishing videos kind of whenever my editor would give them to me. That wasn't really growing the channel. Then I started looking at what other YouTubers were doing and they were publishing on a schedule. So I started publishing every Friday and that started to work, but I wasn't getting a lot of engagement or even real true momentum. It was growing, but it was really slow. So I started publishing every Tuesday and Friday and never missed it unless I told people in advance that, you know, hey, I'm taking a four week break or whatever that was. And that consistency because you're showing up, you tell them, I'm going to be here every Tuesday and Friday. And then every Tuesday and Friday, you show up. It's really, it's, it seems simple, but these things are powerful brand builders because they know, they know they can trust me to show up every Tuesday and Friday. So um, yeah, that, <laughs> those are just a couple of tips. I love them. I think the last one is super powerful because I, totally believe that consistency you know doing small steps over time is exactly what builds your business what builds your brand but uh it's also super hard because it's it you don't see the results a lot of the time right away so it can be really difficult to keep the faith if you will and to you know keep imagining a future where you know, these things actually matter and, and that you do get that audience. So I think that, you know, I don't know if you want to comment about, yeah. about that, but I think, yeah, go ahead. Yeah, I think, no, you've, you've, you've nailed it. It's hard. It's hard to put out content on a regular basis and feel like nobody's listening. And, and in the beginning, they really aren't. But that's good news, especially when it comes to video, because you probably aren't doing a good job at the beginning. <laughs> so it's good nobody's watching at first. Um, over time, you'll get better. And I think the thing is to, con to be consistent, but to also pay attention. So what, what did you get a little bit of engagement on? What did work to get, you know, a little bit of traction or what videos or what content did you put out that actually got a couple comments that day? And doing more of that, still doing it consistently, like, you know, again, sticking to that schedule, sticking to that consistent um, message. That's the other thing too, is to not change tones on people all the time, like doing about face. Like one day you're talking about this and then the next day you're totally, you know, slamming something. <laughs> you know, you want to have a, a consistent tone so people, you know, know they can rely on you to kind of step up in a certain way. But um, but yeah, just listening to people. And, and in the beginning, it's just tiny things that you'll see, but you know, maybe one video will give you 200 views versus the other one that was 90. Okay, what did I do different between these two videos? What did I talk about? What did I do? Okay, can, maybe I can do a little bit more of that next time and see what happens. And it does feel slow at first, um, but you, it is about consistency. And I think most YouTube channels uh, usually take two, at least two years before anything is happening. Uh, and then they, you know, some of them can just grow in, in, at a crazy pace. And the same thing with your blog or a newsletter, you know, it takes showing up consistently for a few years. <laughs> it is not months. It's not days. <laughs> it's years. Yeah. I, yeah, totally agree with you. Um, I want to switch 
a little bit and talk about, you know, go back to book writing. Who should be writing a book? Should, you know, is, is there a book in everybody or should you only write a book if you have a specific message in mind? Yeah, it's funny because I, I hear a lot of people saying, you know, everybody has a book in them. And maybe that's true um, because, you know, the more people I meet, the more phenomenal stories there are. You know, almost every person has a phenomenal story. However, I do think that some people are not going to share um, enough of uh, enough of themselves, enough of their, they're not going to get vulnerable enough to actually create a book that would matter. Um, and then the other side of this is some people have a really incredible story, but they haven't, they, they haven't done anything to actually turn it into something that makes a book. And what I mean by that is your story has tremendous value to somebody, um, but if you don't think about who that person is and what they're going to take away from it and really wrap it into a, into a format and a way, a message that actually has impact, uh, it, it's really not going to work. And so you you still could write a book. Um, you could write a book for a legacy purpose, but if you want to write a book for, you know, to sell the book and to market yourself, to build your brand, you really have to remember that the book might be about you, but it's not for you. And until you're really ready to share the things you have to share in order to impact the person that you need to impact in order to sell the book and build your, build your message, build your movement, whatever it is, um, you know, it, you're not ready to write a book until you're ready to share deeply enough to actually have an impact. So uh, it's kind of a long-winded answer to say you pr probably everybody has a book in them, but I don't think everybody should write a book until they're ready. I think that's, that's a great answer. Do you, you primarily help people who are self-published. Would you recommend people go the more traditional uh, route of publishing, you know, in the five big companies in New York, or is self-publishing the, the wave of the future? Well, I mean, first, the first way I can answer that is to tell you that, you know, I think one of the greatest things that happened to me is not getting a publishing deal. Um, and, and that's from a whole bunch of perspectives. So that's from the fact that I, I did the math. This is a couple years old now, but I did the math on it. And had I gotten that book deal and sold the same number of copies, I think I would have made under $10,000. Well, I know I would have made under $10,000 um, for that. Again, this was a few years ago. Um, but, you know, I made, I made over $100,000 from book sales. And that's just through the online, like, not through online, but through Amazon and IngramSpark, those kind of platforms. That doesn't include the speaking engagements that I did where I sold books at the back of the room. And, you know, well, if, don't tell CRA, but there was cash involved. Okay. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, thank don't you. Worry. <laughs> and so, so there was a tremendous amount of money made that I wouldn't have made had I gotten that book deal. But beyond that, you know, I have friends who um, got book deals, who got um, TV opportunities, had to buy their book back from Wiley in order to pursue the, the TV opportunity. Um, and then I had another friend who had his book reprinted word for word under somebody else's name because he had stopped promoting it. And it's he, he, the part that really bothered him was he had two co-authors on the book um, and they were still in the real estate space where he wasn't. Uh, and, you know, Wiley republished it and gave no credit to his co-authors either. Uh, and so 
he was really sick by this and it's not wrong because they get all rights and royalties and when it comes to nonfiction, i think that's something you really have to pay close attention to and ask yourself if you're okay giving your intellectual property to someone else like you have to really let that set sit in because this is your intellectual property and i love control i want to control my intellectual property um you know forget about the fact that i'm going to make six to eight times more per book sold um you know i want to have the rights to do whatever i want with it um, now and in the future that said if it's really important to you really 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 important to you and you know it's possible um, to become a new york times bestseller then you pretty much have to go with one of the big five um, so if you are a really high paid consultant or a really um, you're already making five figures for speaking and you want that New York Times bestseller tag beside your name to add more credibility and clout, um, you have to go with one of the big five because traditionally or self-published authors just it's a curated list. And if you're not with one of the big five, you know, they, they curate you out of there, even if you do outsell a bestseller. <laughs> we talk about marketing a little bit and somebody who wants to write a book, when should they start thinking about marketing and what activities should they pursue in order to increase their audience and sell more books? Uh, so first of all, how we approach this is the minute you say you want to write a book, we start talking to you about who you're market, who you're going to market it to. So you haven't even written a word yet. And that's what we're talking about is who, who's your audience for this book and how are you going to reach them? And, and it's really important that you don't start writing that book until you can actually picture where they're hanging out, where you're going to be able to connect with them. So, and I, I mentioned this because so many people sit down and write a book thinking it's going to help people you know, people like me, for example, um, and that's what they say, like in their head. It's, I'm not saying people like Julie, I'm saying the author thinking people like me. Um, and so that's not clear enough. And then the other thing, the other one I get all the time is, oh, well, this book is for women between the ages of 30 and 50. <laughs> it's like, no, like, where are they hanging out? You know, you're not Coca-Cola. You don't have the budget to splash ads everywhere. Let's figure out where they're hanging out and who they are. So it's really, and a perfect example, I just had a conversation with somebody who was talking about my, my book is for anybody with a paycheck. And I said, well, I get a paycheck from my company. Is your book for me? And he said, well, no, you're an owner. I said, okay, so it's not for anybody with a paycheck. And then I said, is it for the 18-year-old kid that works at McDonald's? And he said, well, not unless they want to work for McDonald's and climb their career ladder. I'm like, okay, so now it's for somebody climbing the ladder in a big company. You know, so you start to narrow down and figure out who it is. And then you can start to see where they're hanging out. You know, they're graduating from college. They're you know, you, you got to be able to say the associations they belong to, the podcasts they listen to, the magazines they listen or read. When you get that, then you can start writing. And that's so important because once you have that, you already know how you're going to be marketing the book at the end, which also answers the question of what should you be doing? Everybody should be building a platform of some kind. But if you don't have one, your book is going to help you build one if you know where the people are hanging out and you're going to be able to find them. <laughs> <laughs> Yeah, the, I I get that all the time as well. It's well, it's, yeah, women between the ages of thirty and and fifty five, and so it it's yeah, it's definitely very hard to narrow that down. And and people think that it, that people that the book is so good that it will just naturally get picked up somewhere, you know. And so and so I have to bring. I'm sure you do too. Bring them down to earth a little bit and say, well. No, not exactly. It doesn't, it doesn't really work exactly like that. 
<laughs> or at all, really. <laughs> all, <yes. laughs> I mean, we have incredible stories all the time. I and mean, one of our books that um, it, it did well, and it's certainly, you know, the author, we got the author on Inside Edition, Good Morning America 2020, um, the cover of the Los Angeles Times. So like, it was a really powerful story. You would think it would be a traditionally published book, but it wasn't. And, and he, one of the main reasons he didn't even want to look into it um, was that you know he wanted to make sure his his story and his message was spoken because it was called um, "Killers Keep Secrets" and he was the brother-in-law of uh, a very famous serial killer, the Golden State Killer. Mm. Um, and but he so he wanted to make sure he didn't his voice and what he wanted to say his message didn't get changed, which you know when he sold it to a publisher would happen. But the other thing was he had no platform whatsoever and didn't want to build one, didn't want to have one. Um, you know the the limited media that we did do with him was kind of it. He doesn't he doesn't want to have a big profile. Um, he just really wanted to get it off his chest more than anything. Uh, but that's really something to really think about when you pursue when you pursue this is your you might have one of the most incredible stories and it might even be media worthy but that doesn't mean it's going to make the numbers work for a traditional publisher can you talk a little bit about social media and how you specifically think about that for your for your authors Oh, this is a fun one. So, uh, yeah, you must have done your research. You're like picking all the, the things I have very strong opinions on. <laughs> uh, so social media is one of those things people get really hung up on it. They're like, I have 10,000 followers. I'm like, great, you're going to sell 10 books. <laughs> so I, I don't put a lot of time and effort and energy into it. Um, we have had some clients who have really engaged following on Instagram, and that has sold books. But the thing is, if you don't have a social media following right now and you're going to publish a book, don't waste your time building a following on social media. Because again, just like I was talking about with YouTube, it takes years to build an engaged following on social media. You're much better off to dedicate your time to reaching out and building relationships with people who have a relationship with your ideal reader. Because those people, they have platforms, right? So whether it's a podcast or whether they have events where they have your ideal, your ideal reader in their room. Um, there's lots of webinars and Zoom things and Facebook Lives and places that people are always looking for content. You're much better off to build a, you know, put your time into building that relationship with those people that have an audience than you are to crafting social media posts and trying to collect one follower at a time, only to find out that like 0.1% of those followers are actually going to buy your book. And so how do you reach out to those influencers? It depends on who they are and what they do. Um, I, there's no, I, there's not a formula for this. I wish there was. Um, but let's just, I can give you one kind of concrete approach. So if they are active, say on social media, um, Pat Flynn is a great example right now. Mm. Um, he has gone every, since the pandemic started, he's gone live on YouTube every single day day. I don't know how you do this, but 7.30 a.m. <laughs> Pacific Standard Time, he's going live every single day on YouTube. Um, so if you wanted to get in front of him, you could just show up for his live every day and comment and participate and add value. Um, guaranteed, and I've actually, I don't tune in even remotely on a regular basis, but I have seen him as the pandemic has gone on, I've seen him recognizing people who have been there every day. So now if you've been there 30 days in a row commenting on his posts and you drop him an email and, you know, remind him, hey, I've been on there 30 days, way to go. Like, I really loved your episode on X. And then you say, I have a book coming out in two weeks, you know, or in three months, and I'd love for you to endorse it. Um, you know, is this something you do? 
there's a very good chance he's going to say no, by the way, like you got to prep yourself for this, that there's people are going to say no. But if you're doing this consistently, they're going to know who you are and they may say no to your ask, but they probably will offer some other opportunity or some other option. Um, but you have to add value first, always add value first. And if you go straight for the ask, you better get right to the point and be as nice as possible. <laughs> <laughs> Because, you know, I, I, the number of people who write me and just say, hey, will you re review my book or please read my book and write a review? I, <laughs> like every day, like, no relationship, no whatsoever. But somebody who I call my YouTube bestie who comments on <laughs> videos every Tuesday and Friday, um, I have a really hard time saying no. It's <laughs> really hard because I've built, I know they're there. They're there for me. So I feel like I should be there for them. Hmm. I love Pat Flynn, by the way. He's uh somebody I definitely look up to. And I didn't know that he was doing these live events. So I'll definitely check it out. So thanks for that. <laughs> yeah, you're welcome. What's a, is there a book that you particularly like to gift or a favorite book that you'd like to reread? Oh my goodness. Um, yeah, so you're talking to a complete book nerd. So it's really hard to pick one book. Of course. For, <laughs> for rereading, I have to say, um, I have two favorites. The War of Art from Stephen Pressfield. I, mm. I quote it all the time and I reread it probably yearly. Um, and then also uh, <laughs> Pitch Anything by Oren Claff. Uh, I mm. haven't reread it in a while, but from a sales and a mindset and a branding perspective, um, it's really easy to position yourself in a weaker position. I think a lot of, a lot of people do this, especially when you feel uncomfortable going for the ask. And he really, he talks about prizing and some other things. And they're just really, really great concepts, not to make you aggressive, but just to really know your value and come into things with value. And so, yeah, I've, I like that book. I've read it quite a few times. I've often gifted it. Um, for books I gift, it really depends on the person because I do have a, a deep, deep experience, not just in reading thousands of books myself, but also in publishing hundreds of books. I, I have a book for every person. So I, I usually gift whatever is appropriate for them in their life. <laughs> well, thank you, Julie, for being on the show. Really appreciate your time. For people who want to reach out to you, where is the best place to find you? Um, if you want to reach me and not some of my team, the best place is on YouTube. I, I do everything on YouTube. So I am the one that responds to all comments. So if you want to connect directly with me, booklaunchers.tv. If you want to learn more about what we do at Book Launchers and connect with us as a company, booklaunchers.com um, or booklaunchers on any of the social media, um, we're hanging out there and, and uh, somebody will answer you. It just probably won't be me. <laughs> well, thank you, Julie, for being on the show. Yeah, thanks so much for having me. Take care. Thank you for listening to Publishing for Profit. Please like and subscribe on iTunes, Spotify, or wherever you get your podcasts.